After a week off for Mother's Day, Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report, Ben, Ben's not here, but no. Jeremy Harper from HowlRazor.com is here to join okay. us as we get ready for the final week of Sunbelt Conference Baseball. Welcome in there, Jeremy. Thibodeau, let me ask you a question. I love your questions. Have you been following Sunbelt Baseball? Yes. Because why? Because we are citizens of the Sunbelt, right? Uh, last time I checked. So who are the four best Sunbelt teams right now? I would have to say the highest ranked right now is going to be Georgia Southern, despite them being second in the standings behind Texas State. Really? Okay. But that gives you your clue of your top two teams. Uh-huh. Third one to me is actually a little bit of a surprise that Coastal Carolina has clawed their way up. They and really they're have? sitting currently in third place. Have an outside chance – uh-huh. Depending on what happens the final weekend with Texas State, Georgia Southern, they could the shots could be getting a trophy next weekend. That would be incredible because they seem to just be kind of treading water for a long time. So then who would be the fourth best team? Your Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns. Despite getting swept this weekend by Texas State, I have to agree. I think they're the fourth best team. I do, but, you know, they're still kind of in the same boat as Coastal Carolina. Just depending on what happens this final week, they could find themselves hoisting a trophy as well, much like their softball team did. They could find themselves in second place. They could even drop down a little bit further in the standings, just depending on how this final series goes this upcoming week. You know why you say that? You know exactly why you say that, Thibodeau? Um, Because that was the notes that I prepared? No. You're saying that because there is excellent parity in Sunbelt baseball, except when it comes to the very bottom, which actually has its own parity. And that's where I find the most delicious race of all for the Sunbelt. It's the race for not having to play a playoff game or like having to play postseason baseball in the Sunbelt. Have you checked out these standings? I have. It's just as much of a mess as it is atop the standings. You have Arkansas State at 5-21 and in the conference. Yeah. But depending on what they do this weekend when they travel to Monroe yeah. to wrap up the season, could find themselves sitting in that eighth slot and going to Montgomery. They could right. also somehow fall from, from 10th even to 11th when there's not even 11 teams playing. <laughs> Honestly, Arkansas State should be ranked 50th in the Sun Belt, despite not having 50 teams in the Sun Belt. But then you look right above ULM, who's been struggling, and, and you see UTA, who just lost two of three to Appalachian State, and then Appalachian State, who, who had they won the day, Tibbs, they would have avoided this sort of, uh, I don't know, this drama that's playing out in the basement. They will have guaranteed themselves a spot, but they lost today to UTA like seven to zero. So now heading into the uh, final weekend, we have four teams vying for the last two places in the Sun Belt tournament. Fascinating stuff. I don't think Arkansas State, I, I think you would have to see some serious losing. They would have to sweep ULM. UTA would have to drop two of the three in App State as well 
And I just don't see that happening for Arkansas State. I hate to say that, Jeremy, but I don't think that they're going to make it. With that said, yeah, why has Keith Gill not pulled a CAA and just told the Trojans and the Mavericks, you're not welcome in Montgomery? You know why? Because Keith Gill's a decent man. You know, I feel like he, he, he would say, we have some obligations to these former Sunbelt brothers. We, we need to give their exit from the Sunbelt as much dignity as possible. But I don't agree with you, by the way, that Arkansas State has no chance because the UTA goes into the weekend headed to playing Georgia Southern, whom you said off the air that you thought might be the highest ranked or even the best team in the Sunbelt. They could easily lose three, three of three games to Georgia Southern. Yeah. Georgia Southern is definitely a team that they're hot. They yeah. are the highest ranked Sunbelt team currently. Yeah. But then how many times have we seen them just drop a head scratcher in midweek as well as in conference games that just make no sense at all? Much like looking at the standings, Troy's uh-huh. lost seven straight and still finds themselves right in the middle of the pack. This is true. But you know who, who's a little like Troy to me in that regard? Georgia State who just finished a, a, a three-game per thumping of Arkansas State. Remember when Georgia State was like in the top three of the conference and looked like the story of Sunbelt baseball? Now they're kind of in the middle there with Troy. I think Troy's a pretty good, good, good baseball team. But now Georgia State sitting there at 15 and 12. We don't know what to come of them. We don't know what to expect. But I tell you, here's a team that I think is a real dark horse that I think could come out. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Thibodeau, I feel like I, I'm just stuck in a vortex that began with the basketball season. I am picking South Alabama to do some damage. No. I, <laughs> I, I went through that, that, that dance for basketball. Uh-huh. Shame on me once, not twice. Listen, they came into the season highly regarded. You know, a lot of people thought maybe these guys are a top two team in the Sun Belt. They're not, but they are 16 and 11 in conference. They are 30 and 20 overall. They have won three straight. They just swept whomever they swept. I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was, was it Troy? I think they just swept Troy. So not, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe. No, South, South Alabama did the sweep of ULM. Oh, is that right? Well, that's not nearly as good, Thibodeau. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. To- I, I like busting, busting your chops and, yeah. and bringing you back to earth when you start talking this high and mighty of South Alabama. <laughs> They're middle of the pack this year. They uh-huh. are not the team okay. that we hype them up to be in football or and basketball and baseball. We're not, we're not pulling the trifecta. We even did it in softball, matter of fact. You know what, though? Let's even go back further. I remember during the football season, the 2021 football season, before it began, I was pretty high on South Alabama with the new coach, Coach Kane, Kane Womack, with the new stadium, although it was kind of year two of the stadium. They were looking at it year one. I was like, South Alabama? What is it about South Alabama that's stuck in my head? Am I secretly a Jags fan? I think you are. <laughs> I, I think as much grief as you give me yeah. for my f- 
newly discovered love of Sam Marcus yeah. and the Bobcat mm-hmm. or want to go to Mobile and be a Jag? Maybe, yeah. You know what? Maybe it, it is it possible. Like you're, you, you know, you, you were kind of a, a you're a cradle ULM guy. You know, I was born in the fires of Arkansas State. We we can't separate ourselves from those programs, Dusty. They're 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 carved into our DNA. But perhaps, just through sheer will, we can also be fans of the Bobcats and the Jaguars. I love all the teams. Oh, okay. Kumbaya. That's awfully nice. Do we have any other information about baseball we need to talk about? We don't for right now. Uh, a couple midweek games of, of note. Okay. Mercer, who seems to have been the Sunbelt killer in just about every sport this year. They are traveling to Statesboro to take on Georgia Southern Tuesday. UAB bringing the Conference USA battle to Troy. Oh, that's going to be a good game. Clemson goes to Coastal. I love those those big games where the the kind of P five goes to the mid major midweek wow. in baseball. Mm-hmm. Nine out of ten times the mid major is going to get the win in that one. You know what? I predict a win for Coastal Carolina on that. They love beating Clemson. One that will not happen though. Ole Miss traveling to Jonesboro. I hate to tell you that. <laughs> yeah, that is, it's an interesting. I, it's not a rivalry. I wouldn't call that rivalry. It's an interesting partnership that Arkansas State has with Ole Miss baseball. We've been doing this dance, this one and one where they come to our place and we come to their place for like years now. We've, we've come away with victories before, but it's usually Ole Miss winning, right? But it, it, there, there's no real like hatred between the two programs. It's just kind of like, hey, welcome to our place. Oh, hey, welcome to you know, our place. It's, it's been nice. It's been a nice little setup for Arkansas State. And then it's kind of a nice game to have. It's the last game of the season for Arkansas State at home. Last game for the seniors. A team like Ole Miss come in. Probably be a pretty good crowd for a team. that is really just god-awful. So hats off to whoever get, manages to schedule Ole Miss to come every year. Especially this late in the season. I, I did think that, that was kind of a unusual timing of that game. Texas State will get another day of rest, though, as their game Tuesday against in-state Houston Baptist canceled. The Bobcats are headed to Atlanta to close out the season at Georgia State. What about your buddies, the Warhawks? What are they doing to prepare for the big Arkansas State ULM showdown for next weekend? They are ironing the jerseys so that they look really good for the dubs. <laughs> all right. You know, that's important. You should look good. Yeah. I like that. So with all the excitement on the diamond, the hardwood yeah. Yeah. and the schedule is starting to take shape, even with the new members coming in. Ooh, Southern Miss. More. Jeremy, we got to find a way to, to, to work our way to cover the Southern Miss Golden Eagles Why? because they are headed to Cancun. <laughs> for a, a non-conference tournament as they will play Winthrop and then the winner of either Eastern Carolina or Purdue for Fort Wayne. You know what? We really should. We should look at what we got in the petty cash, see what we have in the travel budget, and force ourselves to go to Cancun for that tournament. And, and root on a, a Sunbelt newbie. Let, let's hope that they come in strong with a big win in Cancun. 
I don't know much about those teams, but if I had to guess, Eastern Michigan and Winthrop would be my somewhat favorites out of that little round robin tournament. Yeah, Old Dominion also gets a non conference early season uh, tournament. It's a three game guarantee in Charleston, South Carolina. They'll host Eastern Carolina and George Mason in the regular season, though. No details yet of who they'll play in the tournament. All right. Okay. Not bad. So we we get to see some some early Old Dominion because, yeah. as we've all said, we don't know much about what Old Dominion is going to bring to the table in um, anything but baseball. The very mysterious material Old Dominion. How many people have we had from Old Dominion on this show, Dusty Thibodeau? Absolutely zero. Zero. Okay. So we it still – It is not – Nothing. From a lack of effort, apparently, okay. there is no one that covers Old Dominion. <laughs> you know what Old Dominion's going to do? They're going to come into the Sun Belt and just dominate everything. Track, volleyball, softball, football, baseball, basketball, everything. And we're going to be like, why did we let these guys in? And maybe that's not why. Maybe that's why they're not coming onto the show, Dusty. Maybe they're just playing it cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I've got a little bit of basketball news. Did Arkansas State lose another no. player? No. Um, but I, one thing I have been doing, Dusty, as an exercise is keeping abreast of the transfer portal for basketball because I was quite alarmed how many top-tier Sunbelt players were jumping into the portal. You know, I think we have mentioned before the, uh, the uh, player of the year, the defensive player of the year, the sixth man of the year, the freshman of the year, and the newcomer of the year have all jumped into the portal, right? That's Correct. a lot of talent jumping into the portal. Yes. And then there's also guys like uh, Harrison from ULM and Deva from Coastal Carolina. And uh, a guy named, oh gosh, Jackson from, from South Alabama. Just a lot of guys, a lot of guys that have made a lot of good contributions to the Sun Belt, all jumping into the portal. So it was a little alarming to me. So I went ahead and I started tracking how many people have gone into the portal. Now, by my count, about 44 guys have jumped into the portal. About 44% of those guys have landed on their feet to new teams with six of those players winding up in power five programs. And then several others kind of landing in sort of premier, uh, I wouldn't say second tier, but not power five programs, places like Memphis, for instance. So 44% of the guys that have jumped in have found new homes. The remainder 50, 56% still wait. Yeah, it, it, it definitely hurt when the Warhawks lost Russell Harrison this past week when he announced his commitment to Oklahoma State. Yeah. Good for him for being able to capitalize and, and really move up into the P5 ranks. But what does that really say when the Warhawks were one of the few schools to really make an offer for him despite being a top 75 Juco player at Clarendon College? What's that say to, to what he thinks of the Warhawks that we're actually willing to take a chance on him and bring him to Monroe? Hmm, I don't know. Is it all a business decision? You know, joining Russell Harrison at Oklahoma State announced about the same time Caleb Asbury from Texas State. First teams, yeah, first team Sunbelt guy. 
And, and, and that's another head scratcher because I know that um, Texas State was definitely willing to kind of up the ante and, and throw some NIL money at these guys in order yeah. to keep them in San Marcos. But you always have to wonder, what is that threshold? I guess it's kind of like us in the real world when we're, we're looking to jump jobs. Is the the thousand dollars really worth moving the job, or is it the ten thousand? Is it fifty? What's that threshold to really make that jump? Well, you know, sometimes too, like I know some of these guys are are sort of like a what do you call it? Um, what what's it called when you've come through your four years and you've got another year? Graduate transfers. Yeah, yeah. Some of it to me, like I know when. Uh, one of our our kicker at Arkansas State ended up going to North or North, going to Notre Dame, and there was some kind of grumbling, you know, where we made him all this, but he's going to a school where he can get something else that Arkansas State can't give him, right? Maybe. Well, or, <laughs> no, I just mean a, a broader view, a, a broader menu of degrees, right? So as far as I know. A guy like Russell Harrison's getting some sort of degree in something and can only get it at Oklahoma State. Maybe it's an aviation. I know Oklahoma State has a good aviation program. Maybe he wants to be a pilot. I don't know. I don't know other people, uh, kids' reasonings for moving from one school to another. You kind of hope they stick with us. They don't. They don't always stick. A lot of those transfers in the past were always kind of wink, wink, nod, nod of yeah, I just can't deal with my roommate. You know, he's so bad. Or I don't really want to go into underwater basket weaving. I want to. I want to go and be in family and childhood development, where you learn that if you feed kids, they grow up. That's what I really want to do. And that program's not here, so I have to go to this university. That's what it's always been in the past. But now I feel like with NIL and this kind of free agency transfer portal, who cares? You're you're moving on to the next school. Yeah. Yeah, you could only have them for so long. You know how we've been talking about Coastal Carolina? Yes. And how they seem to have a an enormous amount of players entering the enter, entering into the transfer portal? Yes. Well, this week another guy from Coastal Carolina jumped into a portal. A guy named Taj the Watt. Now, you probably think I've never heard of this guy. That's because he decided to commit to Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I think it was from Western Virginia. Committed to Coastal Carolina in January. Last week, decided that that wasn't the place for him. I get that because you got to remember, we're just now really coming out of the COVID restrictions where a lot of these guys didn't get to go to campus and really see, feel, touch what they were committing to. So I, I kind of get that, that when you show up to campus, it's not what you were expecting. It's not what you were shown in the PowerPoint slideshow or the Zoom video, the FaceTime call, uh-huh. and, and, and you don't want to deal with it. I get it. Does it make it right? Maybe. Maybe not. Hmm. I don't have the answer. Well, I will say this. I'm going to plug myself early. If you like to see where who's left certain all the Sunbelt programs and where some of them are going. You can check out howraiser.com where I have a nice little gridded graphic that shows you where they come from, some of their credentials and their landing place. So Jeremy, with all the talk of basketball, baseball, yeah. uh-huh. spring football's over with. Yeah. One of the first teams that 
completed spring practices. Okay. He knows all about his team because they were in the Sunbelt Conference Championship last year. Just oh. short. Just short. Appalachian State head coach Sean Clark joins us, the 22nd head coach of App State. Welcome in there, Coach. I appreciate you guys having me on tonight. So looking forward to having a good time and, and talking a little bit of Sunbelt action on App State. This will be a good time. So, Coach, last year, 10-2 regular season, phenomenal. And even a good showing in that Sunbelt Conference Championship. When you look back at that year, what was the difference of the one or two plays that, that have you at 12-0 and 0 or even 11-2 and 2 and hoisting that trophy? Well, if you look back to last year, you know, that, that's a very good season. Um, and 99% of the college programs in the country. But uh, at Appalachian State, you come here to win championships. So even though it was a great year, it was disappointing that we didn't uh, finish the right way. And and we in Louisiana, uh, give credit where credit's due, they had a great program. And Billy did a great job with those guys. It was two tough games. And then um, we played Miami. And uh, we go to the, to the um, uh, bowl game, and you know, we had some guys opt out and had some guys who were injured and, um, it, it, we had, we didn't end it the right way, and we wanted to put our seniors out on the right note to to win a championship. It'd be a bowl, uh, conference championship or a bowl championship. It didn't work out, but if you look back, in my opinion, we had a great season, and that's something I'm very proud of. That bowl game, it was crazy watching Zappy. I mean, that that's like old uh, Andre Ware numbers, or or almost. We, we don't have it back yet, but the, the good old Xbox college football game numbers. Did you just kind of sit back and watch that in awe of, of what he was doing and trying to figure out how do you slow him down? Well, we knew going to the game that uh, this couldn't be a track meet. We're, we weren't built to score 70 points. So we knew we had to go and try to slow the game down and, and be able to run the football and, and take our shot when we had to. And um, and for the first half, it was going right where we wanted to go. And they, they, they went up early. We came back and took the lead in the second quarter and, um, we're down seven at halftime. We have the ball back. So, and, and we're driving down to score tied up again. And uh, we go down, we, we can people's fumbles on the, on the nine yard line, I believe. And uh, the next play is score touchdown and kind of open it back up on us. And uh, we were playing catch up from there. But uh, again, uh, he, he's a really good quarterback and his numbers don't lie. I mean, um, when you watch him on tape, to watch, it's very different when you watch him in person because it is a video game. He was just dinking and dunking and and they had, a, they had a really good offense. And uh, so, again, you have to give credit where credit's due sometimes. So speaking of offense, Coach, you know, I think Chase uh, Bryson came in last year, right? Last year was his first year with Appalachian State. I remember we were talking earlier in the season, me and Thibodeau and, and the guys here at Fundbelt po- Podcast, who are the top quarterbacks to, to come in. And, and we were all confused a little bit about Chase Price. You know, he had come from a couple programs, had a, a sort of mixtures of success. But a lot of the guys like uh, oh, oh, uh, some of the offseason guys really liked him and were really positioning him as being one of the top quarterbacks in the Sun Belt. And then he came out and just blew everyone away. So were you a little surprised that he stayed for another season, or did, especially given how sort of soft the quarterback situation was for the NFL draft? And if so, how does it feel to have him back? Well, first off, we're very excited to have Chase back. And, um, you know, people when we first took Chase were, you know, they weren't high on him here either. They didn't know much about him. They looked at his numbers from Duke, and, yeah. and he, he threw a lot of interceptions and didn't take care of the football. And 
but we had known him for a while. Um, we, like you mentioned earlier in the show, we, we do an early spring practice. We had a chance to go out and visit teams and we visited Clemson several times and, and we, we knew of Chase. We knew the arm talent he had and the kind of person he was. And, um, what people don't understand is the, the COVID year when he was at Duke, uh, they did not meet in person until like, the Wednesday before the first game. And you know, that, that's hard on kids to really learn an offense and coach Cutler's system. And it's a great system, but if you're not in, in that system for, for a few years, it's hard to catch up, right. You know, over zoom calls like we're doing right now. And um, we brought him in and, and um, when he signed in December, he, he was one of the guys, he fit in perfect. He wanted to learn, he wanted to do well. And, you know, for us, you know, we want to make sure to get rid of his demons. His demons were throwing the ball across the middle and double coverage. And, um, we told him, yeah, listen, if you if you punt the football, that's not a bad that's not bad every once in a while. Punt the football and, and let our defense play play. And, and he, he did a really good job of just taking what the defense gave him, you know, throwing his check downs. And um when he had to gamble, he gambled and he was successful most of the time. But we want to make sure that he, he eliminated the, the demons he had in his, in his arsenal. You know, he had some help though last year. He had guys like Corey Sutton and Hennington uh helping pull down so those big passes. Now they're gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys still have the uh, wide receiver firepower to keep Chase uh, Bryce uh, up in the numbers? I believe we do. And, uh, and those guys play a lot of football, and all four of those guys are in NFL camps right now. Uh, so, you know, Hennigan was a five-year starter. Hennigan and Malik were five-year starters and played, I think, it was 63 football games here at Appalachian State. But um, I like where we are in our in our receiver room. Now, we're going to be young, but we're very talented. I think we've – we have more team speed at that position right now. We've, we've got some height um, in, in that room. And I think it'll be some names that people don't know about. They're going to be very surprised when they see us play the first game versus North Carolina. You want to give us a name so we can be looking out for him? Well, I, I think Dalton Stroman is a kid that that, uh, that he played the last couple of games. He, he's 6'3 and a, and, a, and a quarter, 200 pounds. And he can go up and get the ball with anybody in the country. I'm not saying in our conference. He, he is that. Uh, talent. He just snaps the ball out of the air. And, you know, they have Christian Wells and Christian Horns, Deshaun Davis, those guys that were playing, uh, you know, the role players the last couple of years are going to really step out. It's, it's their group now. And um, so I'm very happy from spring where we were in the spring. And I think we could, now it's hard to upgrade as far as, you know, just your playing, but as far as talent, 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 I think we're in a better spot now than we have been the last few years. So, Coach, this upcoming year, as we look forward to 2022, you get three of the four new Sunbelt Conference teams on your schedule. What's your early thoughts on, on these teams coming in, or, or have you even had a chance to kind of break down uh, what they're looking like? No, we, we do a, a pre-scouting uh, report on all of our opponents, and you know, I'm very pleased where we are as a conference right now. I think our commissioners done a great job of positioning the Sunbelt to be the premier group of five in the country. And we look at the eastern side of our conference, <laughs> there are no gimmies. I mean, we had, we had a tough-ass schedule before, pardon my French, before um, we had these additions into the, to our league. But when you talk about Marshall, for example, that was an old-time rivalry here in the Southern Conference back when I played here. And whoever won that game from 94 to 98 won the, won the Southern Conference. And um, that's a great rivalry game. And uh, James Madison, they're coming from FCS. I think they're going they're going to surprise some people early. I think they'll fit in right in. They're not going to skip a beat when you watch their, watch them play. The one thing they have is team speed, and, and they have some length at corner and the receiver position. Now, Old Dominion is going to be excellent to our conference. And 
Now, we have not watched Southern Miss yet, but uh, those those four programs was going to bring value to our conference. Yeah, you know, some of those games that we've seen uh, with uh, Appalachian State versus Marshall have been some of the best out-of-conference games that I've seen with Sunbelt teams. Love the atmosphere. Love that game last year with the big crowd and the and the back and forth rivalry. Now that you have them in the conference, not just in the conference, but in the division, I what are the players jacked for that? Are they are they like yes, we've got yet another big rival? I mean, you've made a big rival out of Coastal, but now does Marshall become your number one rival? I don't think they really knew that they, they didn't know the magnitude. I try to explain to those guys during the Marshall week of you know, what kind of game that is and what it means to the fan base, because you know, Marshall has a very passionate fan base and, and we're three and a half hours from Huntington. They travel well as a program. We travel well as a program. We played them here on a Thursday night and it was on ESPN. It was a sold out crowd, 30,000 fans. And, yeah. you know, they, they had several thousand people here, but uh, you know, you look back at the, the games from the nineties and those were just th- uh, slugfest. I mean, it was just who was standing last. It was a 15 round fight. I remember in 95, when 94, we beat them here when they were ranked uh, number two in the country. We go there, they're ranked uh, two in the country. We're third in the country. And uh, that's when they had uh, Chad Pennington was there and, and Byron. They had unbelievable uh-huh. players. And um, and it was just unbelievable game, unbelievable atmosphere to have it was about 90, 1995, an FCS game, and have 30, 35,000 people in the stands on a Saturday evening. And that was the game to watch. And it's, it's just a great rivalry, great fan bases are very passionate, and it's something we look forward to for the years to come. So we mentioned Chase Bryce as your quarterback, presumably the number one guy leaving spring into the fall. You got one of my favorite players, though, in the transfer portal, Brady McBride jumping from the Bobcats <laughs> to the Mountaineers. Yeah, he loves Brady McBride. So watch what you say about Brady McBride. It's got to be nothing but glowing uh, uh, assessments of Brady McBride. Unfortunately, though, Coach, I find myself screaming, damn it, McBride, way too much. But I still love the kid. He's a great kid, great player. How did you wind up landing him as an interconference uh, transfer? We have a unique situation here at App, at App State right now, and it, it goes back to you know when when Sat was the the head coach here. Uh, when he left, we had a, a quarterback that was committed to us for you know four months, and then Sat goes to Louisville and takes him to Louisville, and then Drink uh, Eli comes in, Drinkwitz comes in for nine months and has a quarterback committed, and he leaves, the quarterback leaves. So uh, we we have some depth issues in that room. So. Uh, we, you know, we have a, a senior uh, with Chase, a six-year senior with Chase Bryce. And after that, we're, we are a redshirt freshman and true freshman. And I think it was fair to the, the, the freshman in the room, not to, give them, not to give them a chance to develop. And we were very honest in the recruiting process. So we're going to go out and try to find someone to really clo- close the gap. What I didn't want to happen for some unknown reason, Chase gets the air knocked out of him several times this, this year. And we're putting a true freshman to a game and burn a redshirt year. And throughout the recruiting process, trying to find a, a quarterback that, that has played in, at the Division One level. And uh, when Brady went in, we had, we had some contact with him. I called Coach Spavital. We're good buddies. And I asked him, can he play at this level? And what he thought about it. He had raving reviews about him. And say so just, you know, it just, he, just, he lost the starting job at Texas State. So uh, we brought him in, him and his dad, which is kind of unique because his dad played for Coach Moore at Texas, uh, Texas Tech. So – 
um, to have his dad come on campus, see coach for the first time in, you know, 50 years or 40 some years and, and see Brady here. And I think it's going to be a great asset to our program. And we will have, we'll have a package for Brady to play. He, he will play some this year. Uh, if he starts, if he beats out chase, that's, and that's the same. It's, it's a Chase's program right now, and Brady's going to be the backup and have a package for him. So we're very glad to have him here and look forward to being out here. I just got to remember to look for him at App State and not watching for him at, at Texas State because then, then I'll be really disappointed of not getting to see him play. I think, Coach, Bryce, with, with, I, I think Bryce and McBride were the two guys we talked about the most preseason last year, right? Who is going to be the guy, right? Man. And now they're no, both I, the I, same I, team. <laughs> I know, and, and you know it's a unique situation. And and we when we told Chase we we're going to try to find Trent, he understood. He he's been in this uh, in college ball long enough, and he knows that we have had to have a, a, a quality value backup who's had playing experience. And when they came here, we put Chase and, and Brady in a room together and just had him talk and to ensure that we had the right person. I, I do believe you you take uh, Brady out, I man. He is he's our kind of guy. I mean, he's a blue collar guy. He's a willing and deal. He'll throw it anywhere, but. We're going to have some a package for him, and, and he will play some this year. So that was unique. that was neat to see when Chase and, and Brady were in the same room together. And we walked in there laughing, cutting it up, and, and and that's one thing with me as the head football coach. I'm very upfront, honest with our players. They know where I stand, and I had them both of them. I said, Chase, this is your room, but Brady, we need you as a backup. And he understood what he had to do. He wants to have a great experience, and he wants to win football games. And this is a great place for him for doing that. Coach, you mentioned that you were a former player there at App State. Does that kind of add more pressure to you to kind of exceed as the head coach? I don't know if it's pressure or not. I just think it's our program. You date back to 88 when Coach Moore came here, and, and you know, it, he, had, he had the same program, and Satterfield takes over, and, and it's kind of the same program. We had a lot of football games. So Eli comes in for a year, and um, we gave him the keys to a Corvette, and, and he took off with it. And I was fortunate enough to be here at the right place, the right time. And, and to become the head football coach has always been a dream of mine. And, you know, when you play here, you have a lot invested in it. You want to do the right things and to make sure you leave it better than what you found it. And that's hard to do here. Uh, we have a very passionate fan base. 10-2 is not good enough. Um, and they let you know about it. And But, you know, I'm not sure if it's pressure. Is that you want to have expectations. People will show up to our game and, and they're very passionate about our program. But um, like I said, I'd like to be here and, and win championships as long as I can and, um, and be here for a long time. You know, speaking of being here for a long time, I feel like Cameron Peoples has been on the roster for 100 years at Appalachian State. Why is it, how is it that Appalachian State seems to get these, these, these long-lasting – and just totally effective running backs year after year. Well, I, I go back. I said about recruiting the right people and the right fit for your program. And uh, Cam's a, a running back. He can play anywhere in the country. He's 6'2", 210 pounds, and you know, he's legitimate four or five all day long. And but you know, he's our kind of guy. He's from a small town in Alabama. He was about twenty five miles from from Troy, which. Um, but you, in, the, in the recruiting process, we went full speed ahead, and he came here for a game. It was sold out. And I think that's when uh, Marcus Cox – I believe it was Marcus Cox or one of those running backs, he had just broke the all-time rushing record for uh, our program. And, and he wanted to be able to come here and be part of, the, part of our program. Yeah, I was tired of seeing Cox. And then I had to have Peoples. And this new guy, Nate Noel, 
it's like you don't miss a beat when one goes down. You got another one come in. And the combination of Peoples and Noel is just outstanding. Maybe Chase Bryce doesn't need wide receivers. <laughs> Maybe you just stick to this running game and then you get it, get it all going. But, you know, Tibbs and I, we we're talking about your, your first two games coming up uh, for the season. The first game you open up with North Carolina, which should be a very exciting game. And then you get a tough task, task with Texas A&M. Uh, those are just two big programs. Do you worry that having those programs back to back is going to inflict some damage on the team? No, I don't. Uh, I'm very happy that we're playing North Carolina. That, that was a home and home deal we had with it. That, to me, that's great for college football. Absolutely. I mean, it's. I mean, I think we should do more of that. I'm a big believer that you should play in-state teams. That if all fan bases could travel there, it's great for our players. They look forward to it. We were fortunate enough to to beat North Carolina in 2019 at Chapel Hill. Um, so they're coming, they're coming to the rock and, you know, I, that's the game I look forward to. And just cause that's what college football should be about. It shouldn't be about playing some uh, non-conference from, from California where you're flying, you know, four and a half hours to play in front of 5,000 people. I mean, so we're going, it's going to be an all time attendance record here at app. We're expecting 40,000 for that game. We're bringing in stands for that game. Nice. And I'm excited about it. Then we get a chance to, to travel to College Station and and go against probably going to be a, the top three or four team in the country in Texas A&M. And that's really going to give us a, a measuring stick of where, where we are as a program. And that's something we look forward to. And our guys, that our players look forward to it, they, to put our program on the national stage and uh, to get ready for conference play. Coach Clark, just between us and uh, our viewers, or, or our listeners, I guess, how would you like to have one last crack though at Miami? Oh, those guys! God, that last game. Yeah, that was that was tough. And you know, I, I told our team all week that we belong in, in that in that stadium with, with Miami. And um, you know, we talk if we just take one play here, one play there, really just one play on special teams, just have the ball over the punter's head, and you take all that out of it, and we still have a chance to win the game at the end. And um, it wasn't in the cards that night, but I'm very proud of our players and our coaches, the way we went down there. to We went to win the football game. We didn't go to play it close. And we went for it several times on fourth down. The first fourth and three went for it, and Cam people scored a touchdown. And But um, if you put our players versus our players, I still don't think the best team won, but that's it, it is what it is. You know, you play those games for a reason, but we were prepared for it. We just didn't execute to win the football game. You know, uh, my heart broke for you guys that night. I really felt like you guys should have won that game. It would have been a nice feather in the Sun Belt's cap and certainly in the uh, in, uh, Appalachian State's cap. Uh, but I was thinking, let's get back into uh, the uh, divisional rivalries and such. Uh, Coastal Carolina seemed to have come out of nowhere. And they kind of, in a way, I, I'm not saying they took Appalachian State State's place for a little bit in terms of being the top dog. They did for a second there. And then they, then they last year, I think they came in second, right, to Appalachian State. Do you feel like Coastal Carolina versus Appalachian State could become a premier rivalry, not just in the Sun Belt, but in college football in general? Well, no, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, the, but I said they have a great program. They, he does. Ch Chaz has a, a really good job there. And, they beat in the COVID year in 2020, and you know they had, they had a really good team that year, and they had a really good team last year. I think they have a really good quarterback, and, and they had several players at skill position that were good players. But you know, 
I don't want to say it's the wrong way, but in order to be a robbery, you have to win more than one time and and 12 mm-hmm. times. You have to be better more than one in 12. And that's, the, that's not any kind of slap in the face to Coastal because, hell, they have a good program. He's doing, Chad's doing a great job with those guys. Jamie is, I'm sorry. And um, But, you know, I think about robbers, I think about the Marshall games where you played for 20 and 30 years, the Georgia Southern games, the um, – you know, those kind of games, I think, is rivalries. Now, we are are both fan bases at Coastal now and, and at. They like to talk a little smack, which um, I'm not, I don't look at on social media much. I don't really see it. I hear about it. But um, I think that game is a Wednesday night game. It was the two premier groups in the Sun Belt on the eastern side. Um, I think it, spoke, it speaks volumes for where we came as a conference because, you know, we, have, we had 32,000 fans on a Wednesday night in Boone, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy to get to Boone, North Carolina. You have to travel to get to Boone. And that was one of the, the, the best games I've ever coached in, win, lose, or draw. Because it was – they had a lead. We took we, – we came back and tied it up. We one side kicked it. Um, it was back and forth the second the second half. Our defense played lights out the second half. And you, you went on a, a, a walk-off field goal to, to win the game. And that was – and then I've beaten Michigan before. I've beaten Ohio State. I've beaten, you know, those kind of programs. But that game was a big-time college football game, and it's right here in the Sun Belt. It's in the eastern side of the conference, and that was a fun game to coach in. So, Coach, we, we leave you with the biggest loaded question that we have for you. Do it! How do we fix NIL? <laughs> Why? Why would you do that, Sam Dibbs? Hey, I got to put the pressure on him. If, if it's not me, it'll be the next guy. No, it's we have opened up a a mess that that I don't know how we're going to get it controlled uh, because it's pay for play. Let's just be honest with you. It's it's cheating. It was cheating five years years ago. Now it's legal, um, and we we have everything we have to have here for the NIL deals, but. Uh, what I'm going to do in our program is I'm going to put it back into our players. I'm going to invest back into our players with nutrition, how we travel, et cetera. Uh, we, ha- we do have a, a collective group. Um, I'm going to play our play. I, to me, how do I pay a player that, that I don't know anything about? He's a good player in high school. He comes here, and he's a third-string quarterback, and you're paying him money. You know, what's that going to do to my locker room? How can I look Chase Bryce in the eye and say, hey, listen, man, I'm sorry I can't pay you this. I paid him, but you're the starter. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to pay our players with, uh, from what I hear is if you make good grades, I think, I think it's start off. If, if, if you make a 4.0, you get this much money. If you make a 3.5 or above, you get this much money. 3.0, if you're a conference player of the week, you get this much money. If you're all conference, you get this much money. That's how I feel we could fix the program, the fix all of college football, because it is out of control. We, we've lost a player to a program that was, that, they gave him $50,000. Just call it what it is. And, uh, but we, we're, we can't afford to pay every player we have $50,000. So it sounds like the XFL finally got something right, Jeremy. <laughs> you know what? I think the XFL gets a lot of stuff right. And uh, that is definitely one of them. Very interesting from Coach, uh, from Coach talking about maybe tying some of that money to academic success. Very interesting. Hadn't heard that one before. No, it, it gets in the sense of your players to go to class. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, and we talk about coming here, you come here to, uh, to get a world-class degree and play for championships. And, you know, what are, what are we promoting um, if we're not talking about academics? 
I mean, I, I, we all want to win football games, and and that's what my my legacy will be here is winning football games. But if you don't graduate your players and have a meaningful degree, then uh, what are we doing? We're just a semi-pro football team. Coach, we thank you so much for your time and joining us here on Thunbelt Podcast. Looking forward to see you in New Orleans when we get to party down Bourbon Street as we kick off officially the 2022 Sunbelt season. That's going to be awesome. You guys are pretty good guys for Louisiana and Arkansas State guys. <laughs> we, yeah, don't let, that, don't let that color your opinion of us. We actually are pretty slow. <laughs> <laughs> so what Coach Elliott, not Sean Elliott, what's wrong with me? Coach Sean Clark said about the rivalry between Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State, that was gold. That was absolute gold. It's like, it's not a rival. We've had two games. And he's right. <laughs> it's not really it's not, a rivalry. It's not, but man, they have set the bar so high in that series that, that I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm fumbling over my words because it's such a great game already and a great series already. You're almost sitting at, at the edge of your seat to see what does this year hold? Because that has become kind of the semifinal of the East for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. You know, it's absolutely, we've already kind of forgotten Georgia Southern and what they what they meant in terms of rivalries with uh, people like uh, Georgia State and Appalachian State. Now it's all Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State, to me, is a fun rivalry, even though he's right. It's only been two years but it feels like a rivalry that can last a lot longer. So that's why I just love the dig. I love the dig. They went, no, it's not a rivalry. We have a rivalry with Marshall. We have a rivalry at Georgia Southern. We have a rivalry with those clowns. He didn't call them clowns. He's actually very, uh, uh, very complimentary of what Jamie Chadwell did with that team, but he, was, he wasn't ready to call them a rival. Not yet. And I like that. I definitely liked it as well. Great interview there with Sean Clark. I like his idea of really taking the NIL money, the collective money, and and using it to truly better your players, better your program. Never heard of that. Never heard somebody. I don't know where if that was his idea or if he heard that from somewhere. But I thought that was a great idea. Now, will that work? No, I don't know if, if people will do that. But it seems like the right thing to do, Tibbs. What a good idea. I mean, this, once again, the Sun Belt is the front runners of, of all of college athletics. You know what? We should put together a panel of geniuses like Coach Clark and uh, have them run college football. Are we allowed to be on that panel? No, we're not among the geniuses of college football. I'm sorry, Tibbs. Can we we're sit in just... the room? No, we can't spoil. We can't even be there. Our radiation should not be permitted to affect whatever comes out of that room. Ah, sigh. So, Jeremy. Yep. If I, if I told you that the Sunbelt Conference Championship was this past weekend, who, who would you think would have been the winner? Are, you, are we talking softball? Softball. Well, I get most of my information on softball from recording this podcast. So, if I were to take all the information that I've gained about Sunbelt softball, and predicted a winner, I would have said, I would Troy. You've always been big on Troy. You are not correct. I am big on Troy in most you sports. Like Troy. Yeah. But for softball, no, you're you are not correct. All right. Well, let me try another one. Texas State. Close. They okay. were runners up. Okay. Uh, 
who else is really good at softball this season for the Sun Belt? Louisiana? I don't have a sound effect for the, the good old correct answer, but yes. The ding, Raging Cajuns wrapped up undefeated play in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, winning 13 straight games as they downed Texas State 7-1 to to claim the conference tournament. That's massive. What was massive was the semifinal game against Texas State. Only a one nothing game that the Cajuns won in eight innings. Softball is only seven innings, Jeremy. I know you don't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they won it in 10 innings. You could have told me softball was 17 innings, and I would have been like, oh, really? Okay. They got to so, hit the weight. I'm, I'm just a novice when it comes to softball. Because as you know, Arkansas State's still without a softball team. I'm still very bitter about that. But perhaps we get one some way. And we're, I'm missing out on this excitement of Sunday because we're going to have the national tournament soon. We're going to have the selections being made. We're going to see who from the Sun Belt made it. Who do you think has the who, – who could possibly, outside of Louisiana, who else is going from the Sun Belt? Right. So the Raging Cajuns go with, with the automatic bid having won the, the conference tournament. Yes. I think Texas State definitely made a enough noise in the conference tournament to possibly get an at-large bid. Okay. Beyond that, I, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't really see South Alabama live up to the hype of what we expected for them to be able to get that at-large bid as well. I feel like they kind of fell off in the tournament, and that's really going to hurt their chances. So we might only have two teams in the postseason for softball. And that would be a shame because Sunbelt, from what I understand, just listening to you, Tibbs, and your expertise – on Sunbelt softball. It sounds to me like Sunbelt is a really good league for softball and really deserves to have more than just two teams represented. That is correct. We should we should definitely have a top three, top four going into the postseason. Now, let me ask I, you this. I think that'll be the case moving forward once okay. we have James Madison coming into the league as well. Oh, absolutely. But let me ask you this about the softball tournament. Is it modeled after like the baseball tournament you, that you have sort of uh, what do you call them uh, super hosts and at six? I how many? All right, let's simplify this question. How many teams end up going into the softball uh, tournament, national tournament? Sixty-four, and yes, it is based kind of like baseball, okay. where they will have the regionals at super the regionals and regionals. Okay, all right, fair. And from there, they will go to super regionals, and then from there, you get to go dancing to Oklahoma City. Oh, oh, that's the Omaha of softball. That is the Omaha of college softball. Okay, I got that. All right. Well, I guess right now we're waiting to see. You and I are waiting. We are waiting, but you know what we can do is because by the time we cut this, they would have already selected it. So this is our chance to plug our Twitter of Funbelt PC, where we will have the latest information for Louisiana Lafayette going into the postseason. Okay, that's perfect. Yes, I do. I do what I can just for you there, Jeremy. So with that, I guess that's I guess that's my cue to have plugs, promos, and parting shots. There is my plug of the Funbelt podcast. Twitter. 
that was a great plug. It, it came about so naturally, so organically. It, it didn't feel scripted or rehearsed at all. I congratulate you, Tibbs, on that squeaky clean uh, introduction and then and 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 and, and, and plug of our own podcast that was really nice and for my parting shot to transition on you there okay your neck of the woods arkansas what the hell's going on the the rally cry of the razorbacks okay now the raccoon (laughs) that was very impressive that the guy caught it beer in one hand raccoon in the other and somehow a cell phone to also give a first person point of view of the whole interaction as he walks it out of the stadium to relocate the yeah. rally raccoon. Yeah, like some people might have even thought that maybe eat that raccoon, but not him. That was awfully nice to relocate the raccoon. Uh, you know who I identified most with on that video? The raccoon. No, not the raccoon, although I could have said that. And we could have laughed because it, it would have been correct and true. No. So when he swings the raccoon, like, hey, look what I got. There's a guy in a white shirt next to him that totally like falls backwards and then falls into the seats like ah raccoon that would have been me i totally identified with that guy but uh yeah that that is classic arkansas that is uh, arkansas too too in fact i know a guy who has a pet raccoon here in little rock in his house very nice raccoon you know raccoons can be mean this raccoon is very nice domesticated so uh, maybe that's what he should have done. Maybe he should have tamed the raccoon and made it a pet. Uh, yeah, no. I'm going to just go into my plug. I love your plug. All right. My plug kind of goes into my parting shot. So at Arkansas State, uh, we lost our athletic director, a guy named Tom Bowen, who had come by way of Memphis. And he left after a year. And the administration has responded by plucking an assistant from Alabama, a guy named Jeff Purinton, who has a deep Rolodex, has a lot of connections. You can learn more about him on my um, website, howraiser.com. Check him out. I think he's going to be good. I think he's got what it takes to raise some money for Arkansas State, including getting that softball team that I so desperately want. So I can speak intelligently about softball with Tibbs, who is probably desperate to have somebody talk to him intelligently about softball. That's why we're expanding, looking for another co-host that we have, Jeremy. We have another co-host. This mystery co-host who was unable to come tonight. He was supposed to be on the show tonight. But circumstances that are beyond everybody's control, prevented him from coming. So maybe next week? Fingers crossed next week that the school that he covers is not in a Final Four situation. (laughs) No. And And he is able to join us. And it's not somebody from Old Dominion. We know that, right? That is correct. Because as soon as we can find somebody from Old Dominion, Jeremy, we will cut a midweek show. You know, we will make, we will move heaven and earth to have somebody from Old Dominion come on to the Fundbelt podcast. That is correct. So for Jeremy Harper with Hal Razor. Yeah. Dot com. Dusty Thibodeau, WarhawkReport.com. Yeah. We bid you adieu and see you next week. I love you all.